My full name is Veronica Hawkins. I've been going to BYC, the Bravo Youth Center, to get free STD testing since I was probably 15 years old. And so I was going in for my regular free checkup. And I saw there's a bunch of flyers everywhere. I always like to read what's going on, who they're, um, who they're providing services to. And on the table, it just said, do you have a story about your abortion? Do you want to share that story? Are you between the ages of 15 and 24? And at the time, I was 24. And I said, yeah, I'd love to share this story because it was still very fresh, only a few months old. And so I went into ICA for my interview, and I had an audio recording. And about a month or two later, they let me know that it definitely made the play, and they wanted to write a script. They wanted me to come in and, you know, see how everything was going and work with the actors. And it's been great ever since. Everybody clear? If you have a script in front of you, you know what you're reading? Um, all right, everybody, let's dig in and enjoy hearing for the very first time ever this boat called My Body. Um, I shared uh, how I felt sick. You know, I had morning sickness and I didn't understand what it was. And then I went to go get a pregnancy test and I took it in a Jewel Osco bathroom because I needed to know right away. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I left literally as soon as I got your text, but then I couldn't figure out if you meant this jewel or the one on Halstead. Jane, what what's going on? What's wrong? I think I really screwed up. What? I really... Danny, I'm pregnant. Stunned silence. Oh. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh my god. Okay. Um, how do you feel? You're pregnant? Good thing? Bad thing? Daniela looks at Jane's face and body language. <clears throat> okay. Bad thing. Oh my god. You're, you're pregnant. Back the fuck off. We're having a crisis in here. <laughs> Not a crisis. This is fine. For Rewire.news, I'm Jen Stanley, and this is Choiceless. If you're just joining us, this is the final episode in a series, so please go back and listen from the beginning. Earlier this season, we met Tiffany Pryor. She is the executive director of the Illinois Caucus for Adolescent Health, more commonly known as ICA. ICA helps young people access information and services about sexual and reproductive health. One of their focus areas happens to be the primary topic of this series, parental notification of abortion laws. We've been working on parental notice for years and we'll be debuting our play this spring around it. This is a way to really center and amplify the stories of youth who are under um, 18, even though the play we've collected stories for folks up to 22. Um, we're really focusing on what it means for a young person who's of high school age to want to access abortion services because it's just something that is left out of the conversation all too often. And we, that's our, that's, that's our expertise, and so we're using that um, as part of as part of the play. Art plays an important role in Ike's activism, and their theater wing is called FYI for Youth Inquiry. FYI historically goes into schools and uses theater to teach comprehensive sex ed. Their work is participatory, and through play, they tackle the really hard stuff we've been talking about all season: sexual assault and consent, coming out to unsupportive family. Previously, their plays had been exclusively for schools or other educational purposes, and this is the first time they've created a play for the public. It's about teen abortion, and it was written by six playwrights, including Nick Seleski, an artistic consultant for ICA. 
My name is Nick Zaleski. I use she and her pronouns, and I am the co-writer and co-director of this book called My Body. Last year, as a part of our strategic planning process, um, Tiffany Pryor and I really sat down and started to think, what would it mean to tie our um, performance work really directly to the organizing work as well? Um, And might that mean that we actually need a public-facing sort of strategy that could always be rooted in what is the hardest um, issue area that we are biting off as an organization. And last year, we felt like that issue area was repealing parental notification for abortion, which felt like it was just so far off into the future. Um, so how can we use cultural tools to manage the hardest cultural problems that we are fighting as an organization? So they collected stories from people who had abortions in Illinois, both before and after the law went into effect. Ariana Garris is one of the storytellers. They sort of invited me in and I did a whole like hour long interview with them. They had a very specific set of questions that they wanted answers to. What brought you to the place that had you making this decision? Um, You know, who were the people that you did depend, like you used as a support network? What kind of, what did that support look like? And then also a lot of like, were you like were you made to inform a parent were you you know what situation like what questions were asked of you in that room you know what kinds of things what did that look like and where did you go what were your what resources did you utilize veronica hawkins from the top of the show was also one of the storytellers when i was going through the abortion situation, I didn't tell a lot of people. I told maybe one or two people. I did everything by myself. And so to be able to tell people what was going through my mind and, you know, how isolated I made myself, um, it gives people information without having to talk to anybody as well. They can go to a play and get information that they need from all these stories that are put together without having to be ostracized. What kind of things did you share with them? Um, so, you know, taking pregnancy tests in weird places and having weird information thrown at you in a weird public place and how to handle it afterwards, how to go back to work and pretend like everything's normal, um, how to not involve a significant other if you don't want them to be involved and still take care of yourself and feel like you're strong and independent. Some of the storytellers were present for the first read of the play last winter and were able to tell the playwrights and actors what they thought of the way their experiences were portrayed. So, thanks for listening. Now we get to share our responses to the listening. Um, And so the first thing that we start with in the critical response process is just statements of meaning, things that resonated for you, things that you remember from what you just heard. When they said, you don't need care, you need this, you don't need care, you need a doctor, you need an appointment. And it made me think about how, you know, I wish that some people would show me care, but like if they did start caring about me or I let them care about me because I let them know, then I would probably go through with like the full like nine months and everything. But it uh. me not letting people care, like, okay, what do I, I need to, um, I need to get this morning sickness to stop. And I need to, you know, how am I going to get to my appointment on Saturday and not let people know that I'm going to an appointment? What are you doing on Saturday? I'm going shopping, I don't know. Uh. Like, I need to get all my stuff done within the 10 weeks, so I don't have to have a surgery. So the whole, afterwards, I was like, I need somebody to care about me. But Mm. no, I didn't need care, because that would have 
influenced a different decision, you know? That's why I pushed people away, or I didn't tell people, because if they cared, then I'd feel supported, or like strong, you know, to have like the, the baby. Yeah, that's super, super helpful. So yeah. Yeah, and makes me think about like privacy and the place of privacy and like sticking to the plan and setting the course, being a part mm -hmm. of that sequence actually. So when the friend was there and being like, whoa, dude, like everything's okay, everything's gonna work out, we're gonna fix it. I was like, no, that's not how my friends would have reacted. They would have been like, let's keep the baby. Oh my God, driving a baby, you know, da 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 da. And I would have been like, no. So the friend, the involvement of the friend was not accurate for me. Yeah. Did you feel like a lot of the other stuff felt really accurate to your experience? Like they were using your story for a lot of it? Yeah, I definitely felt like they were using my story for a lot of it. Um, the food dance in the grocery store definitely was part of my story, the donuts and the, and the Cheetos and whatnot. Last spring, when they were done with the writing process and getting close to the performances, Nick invited the other five playwrights to her home to celebrate, and they invited me along so I could ask a few questions. We are in my living room, sitting around hot Cheetos and donuts, um, celebrating the fact that we have finished a sort of uh, final rehearsal draft of the play um, and celebrating the, the labor of the last six months in doing so. Christabel Donker, one of the playwrights, explained some of the difficulties of collaborating with five other playwrights while trying to stay true to the storyteller's accounts. It was, I think it was one of the most challenging things for us, honestly, in that we all wanted to, you know inject our like special storytelling thing into it or have our own you know opinions of whatever was going on in the situation but I think it was something that really checked us when we were able to like go back to the transcripts and say okay is this something that is actually authentic to the story or is it something that like we're kind of a little bit of our own kind of propaganda if you will you know so I think centering those stories was the most important thing. Jessamine Fitzpatrick is another one of the playwrights. And I think also a conversation that we ended up having sort of multiple times was just monitoring the, the tone in the sense of like how much to include um, perspectives that are anti-choice because those, I mean, they're everywhere in the transcripts, whether it's as explicit as I showed up to get my abortion and there were protesters outside and they pulled me and my partner over and started talking. Like those things, they're so prevalent in the transcripts and so wanting to be true to that but then also not wanting to create an environment where audience members many of whom are abortion seekers some of whom we know are going to be out the storytellers that contributed to this are not being invited into a space where it's just like oh let's just wade through the shit of all of these horrific messages that have been thrown at at so many people for so long about this i mean ideally i like i really hate the law I really do because I think it it's a way of putting it's a way again of adults putting their own opinions on young people and whatever you feel is like right to do and it's like everybody has an individual life and an individual story and individual home but as we've discussed before in this series a lot of people don't even know these laws exist so a few weeks before the play premiered ICA staff members took their youth activists canvassing throughout Chicago. They asked people their thoughts on parental notification, tried to raise awareness of the issue, and get enough signatures to take their petition to lawmakers and push for a repeal. 
I met up with some of them when they were out in Chicago's Bridgeport neighborhood, just blocks away from where the play would be performed. So in addition to raising awareness about parental notification, they were also trying to spread the word about their upcoming play. You can have a flyer. Ooh. A flyer? That's the sauce. There's multiple flyers. Yeah. Pass them out. That's Jarell Drake, Ica's movement building organizer. And the thing about this flyer is one side is about the boat play. Um, and the boat play, this, this boat called my body is a new play from the FYI performance company featuring youth abortion stories. And so it's thinking about what are troubled waters when, what are troubled waters that young people navigate when seeking abortions? Know that if someone asks you about this book called My Body, it's a play about like talking about the stigma, trying to destigmatize abortion. This book called My Body is going to be performed in one of Chicago's public parks. And while the audience is encouraged to buy tickets, everyone who's in the park that day will see and hear this play about teen abortion. Children, adults, pro-choice, anti-choice, anyone who walks by. Tiffany and Nick have thought a lot about this. They want the play to be open to the public and inspire conversation. They also don't want to re-traumatize storytellers or other audience members if there is a strong anti-abortion presence. But if they want to have any chance at a repeal, they need people to know about the issue. Sofia Perez is one of Ica's youth activists. She's a 19-year-old student from Chicago, Illinois, and she was out canvassing that day in Bridgeport. I recently had a meeting with Representative Ma, who is the representative for Bridgeport. And she was very much in support of what we are doing now. So I think also getting that confirmation from the community is really important because we, like they've done studies uh, on this neighborhood for like their, you know, opinions about abortion. And you know, there's a lot of older people here. There's also a lot of older immigrant families here. So a lot of them are kind of not really for it and you know, not really for um, young pregnancies either. So I think that's all really good information, too, for all of y'all who will be talking to people today. Elisa Vera Ramos is Ica's arts justice organizer and the artistic director of their theater troupe, FYI. Just like to, to be aware, right? And like uh, we're, we're really doing some great work today by even having these conversations at all and bringing it to people's attention. And maybe we'll experience some of that. And like, that's okay. I asked the playwrights what they hoped people would take away from the play. Here's what Nick had to say. Um, Healthy communication really rests on a parent's ability to trust youth, to trust the young people in their lives, and to trust that um, while they are discovering things and making mistakes and experiencing their full spectrum of sexuality and hormones and all of the mess and complication that comes with that, that um, they um, are equipped with the tools from the parents, ideally, to make the right decisions for them. Again, ICA's executive director, Tiffany Pryor. It doesn't need to be these two things are working against each other and that we're saying parents shouldn't have rights. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that young people um, deserve and should have access to this information. And if that is something that is difficult for you to talk about, let's work together to figure out how we can talk about that together. And Ica believes that youth have a right to this information and they have a right to make decisions about their own bodies. When we start these conversations younger, we're able to make informed decisions about our bodies. We're able to have communication look differently or feel differently or be the way that we want it to be instead of someone telling us um, how it should be. 
which is why Ica wants this play to be so public. They want everyone to have access to this information. Despite teens being legally required to notify their parents about their abortions in 38 states, there's no roadmap for how these talks should go. The folks at Ica hope this will serve as a powerful conversation starter. I'll admit, I expected there to be some negative reaction to this play. I thought families who were casually in the park that day might walk away, try to shield their children, but actually, that wasn't the case. The audience started filing in. It took place in a water-filled quarry on a raft. That's where the stage was. And they used the space all around. Um, And the audience sat in front of the raft. For the most part, there was water between the audience and the main stage. that you're all in the audience and with us on this beautiful Thursday evening. Um, enjoy. Welcome. This film called My Body. <laughs> the generator went out, so the play was not mic'd as intended. Please bear with the sound. I know it might be a little bit distracting, but I think it's worth it. This isn't like me. I'm going to be a pediatrician. I'm going to walk across that graduation stage after I finished junior year and then senior year and look my principal square in the eyes when she congratulates me. I'm not getting my diploma in the mail. You have to tell your parents, Jane. What? My parents. I'm sorry to ask, but is it Malcolm? Have we looked at what, like three times? The doctor will see you in two and a half minutes. Your chemistry homework, Jane. It's late. You're late. Yo, what? I'm having... Jane, Jane, are you calling Jane? Jane, are you okay? Jane, I'm having an abortion! Passersby seemed interested in the play, stopped to listen for a bit. There was a woman fishing with the young girl between the audience and the dock where the play was being performed, and they seemed totally unfazed. I'll be honest, this isn't what I was expecting. I thought families with young children would be quick to rush out of the park, that there would be some kind of protest from local anti-choice organizations, but none of that happened. Actually, in my time covering the play, the only heckling I heard was actually in support of Jane. You see, there's a scene in the play after Jane decides to have an abortion where she's harangued by a so-called chorus of white men meant to reflect the anti-abortion sentiment that exists in varying degrees across the country. At one point, they yell down to Jane from the top of the quarry. Your doctor? Your father? Your husband? Your pastor? This is hard, Jane. It's so hard. We're just being honest. Distance, cost, time off work, risks. I remember that one. Depressions, infections, clots, bleeding, breast cancer, dangerous pregnancy. Literally not even true. <laughs> PAS, post-abortion syndrome. It's terrible. You, you get depressed, you get suicidal. It's just like PTSD for women. <laughs> During the tech rehearsal, there was a woman on top of the quarry not far from the chorus of white men, and she thought they were just harassing a woman in the park, that they were some kind of anti-choice protesters or something. And so she starts yelling back, and the cast has to yell back to her, like, it's just a play, it's just a play. And she laughs and apologizes. The general vibe surrounding the play was really positive overall. The audience participated. They helped Jane find information when she needed it. And at the end of the play, audience members join Jane, help her take water out of a canoe that's sitting on the dock. They put it in the water, and Jane gets in and rows off to get her abortion. 
Then the actors left on stage told abortion stories that Ica collected from other so-called Janes. They make you like, get ready for it. They give you a gown and they put you in a small room. And I'm claustrophobic. So while I was in this little room, there was a mirror in there. And I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I broke down. I was like, fuck, how did I get here? How did this happen? I'm Jane, and I love other Jane. I love Jane. I love Jane. Jane. Anybody else Jane? Do you guys love Jane? Does anybody know a Jane? I know a Jane. what they hoped people would take away from this book called My Body. Language is being used to obscure something that is actually doing harm and the laws work that way all the time, like obfuscating through like, well, it sounds nice, right? Like all of these organizations that have the word family in it, right? It's like that word has like gotten away from us, you know? It's like, you know, it's like a oh, family, like that, like that sounds so lovely. Parental notification, we have these associations of like, well, that's just to help young people because I think as a society, we just don't want to look at the harm that older folks can and do do. I think good communication is also inherently not coerced communication. <laughs> like, yeah. about anything ever. Young people are subject to the world that adults create for them. But they're also demanding more from us. And if they aren't already, they'll soon be voting. It's a common trope that previous generations seem to look down at younger generations. And the media is often quick to perpetuate these stereotypes. Millennials are broke because they eat too much avocado toast. College students get raped because they drink too much or dress too provocatively. But it's the older folks who create the society that younger people navigate. Children rely on their parents, their teachers, and their lawmakers to keep them safe, to teach them, to affirm them. When I was younger, I needed it to be okay to be sad that I'd probably never get to meet the person who gave birth to me. Instead, a lot of adults used me as a reason to shame people that were in a similar position as my birth mother. I had to unlearn negative attitudes about sex and women who have sex for non-procreative reasons. And my classmate Jane, she needed the space to become an adult before she could have a child of her own. Back in biology class, when we had that argument about abortion, we were trying to make sense of a world that the adults in our lives weren't preparing us for. 
But as we heard in this series, many young people are stepping up and saying enough is enough. And ICA's executive director, Tiffany Pryor, says this is nothing new. And it's time for lawmakers, educators, and parents to listen. Youth have always been on the front lines of organizing and activism and shifting policies. And so, um, yeah, I think that's the space that we are in and that's the space that we will continue to be in as more people understand that young people do have a voice that we don't need to be telling them how to think or how to feel that they're actually the ones who are having these honest and hard conversations and pushing other people to do the very same thing. And so centering youth leadership is looking at stuff like that and being like, how can I be an accomplice to that? Um, Because youth are and have been leading the way. And that's Part of why I also love ICA is just because we say that that that's how that's what youth leadership looks like. That's this is what it looks like to lean on the expertise of young people who are actually experiencing these issues firsthand and not adults saying this is how we need to be addressing it. And so I'm very happy that people are now paying attention. I also am like, yep, we knew that (laughs) and it's not brand new and good for you. Um, So, yeah. But is there a lot of hope in this work? Yeah, I mean, I, um, geez, Jen. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that's why we continue to show up to do the work. Um, I get my hope a lot from when young people are in our space and when they are doing their organizing around these campaigns and it's hard um, for them and they're also saying it's necessary. And so that to me is kind of like the the blessing in this work. Um, and I have to believe, I do believe that that's what's going to change um, the landscape here, especially um, in Illinois. But I'm getting choked up because I'm just thinking about all of the ways that they show up to this work and how beautiful it really is and how much change they actually are they are making and celebrating those successes whatever that looks like it doesn't always have to be policy it doesn't always have to be law like it doesn't always have to be these larger scale things it could just be a young person is feeling differently about themselves and that's cool Thank you so much for listening to this season. If you like Choiceless, then you have to check out our other shows. We have a lot of exciting stuff going on this month. We've got Boom Lawyered, which is hosted by our award-winning legal team of Amani Gandhi and Jessica Mason-Piclo. They break down all of the important justice issues in and around the courts, but 
trust me when I say that Boom Lawyered is not some stuffy legal analysis podcast. And I think their expertise is more important now than ever. So definitely check that out. And then we've got The Breach. If you like Choiceless, if you like these in-depth stories, on September 25th, host Lindsay Beierstein is going to drop a three-part investigation on a law that's putting pregnant people in jail and almost no one knows about it. Choiceless listeners won't want to miss this story. Coming soon on The Breach. Choiceless is a production of Rewire.News. We're the leading nonprofit journalism outlet devoted to reporting on reproductive and sexual health rights and justice. To stay up to date with our award-winning journalism, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Choiceless is created and produced by me, Jen Stanley. Music, sound design, and mixing are by Douglas Helsel. Mark Folletti is our executive producer. Jody Jacobson is our editor-in-chief. Additional production help on this season by Lauren Gutierrez and Saskia Henneke. If you like this series, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps more people find Choiceless. Thanks for listening.